Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach Tip of the Day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. I have a very exciting lineup today, and I want to get right into it because I want to give my first guest all the time that he deserves to talk about this very important topic. His name is Mike Rogers from the Revenue Group in Concord, California. And Mike is going to talk about management consulting for early stage cybersecurity companies. So if you're a cybersecurity company, you're going to listen up, get a pen and uh, a pencil and get ready to take some notes. We're going to talk about exit optimization in the cybersecurity sector. So Mike, welcome to the show and thanks so much for joining us today. Hi Bill, happy to be here. It's a pleasure to have you, Mike. It's, uh, you know, it's an interesting niche that we're going to talk about today, and I want to get right into that. But first, uh, tell us a little bit about you and your background and the Revenue Group. Sure. Um, as you indicated, we work with early-stage cybersecurity companies in particular, but cyber software companies in general. And we help them build value in their companies so that they can sell for a premium. And we're leveraging my corporate and strategy, corporate development and strategy experience that I had at four different companies, uh, larger companies, cybersecurity companies that we built, um, created a strategy, implemented the strategy, and sold. And each company sold for between 150 and 300 million dollars. And in the process of implementing that strategy. I've looked at over 100 companies. I acquired 10 and invested in three. And about four years ago, I decided I could do that for more than one client at a time and started my business and focusing in on helping those early-stage companies um, build, create a strategy and build their value so that they can sell for a premium. So... Um, <coughs> Yeah, you're talking exactly about somebody right. who's got his, his uh, you know, thumb on the pulse of the future. <laughs> that, um, <laughs> that, that, that's fantastic. What great experience to, to tee you up for kind of the uh, the, the road ahead. Um, and when, as you got into this, I mean, d- before you got into cybersecurity, what w- were you running and operating companies? Is that what you were doing then? No, before that, I was actually uh, an investment banker. I was a banker helping okay. uh, uh, companies uh, actually do the M&A process. I was funding them and financing them, and I decided I wanted to actually get involved and build a company instead of just you know, be on the outskirts. So the more I got involved in it, the more I enjoyed it, and I really loved being part of it, of creating something special. And so now in the current role, I work with several companies, and all of it is about creating something special and something disruptive in the market. Now, uh, I work with a lot of companies, and many of our listeners are are kind of, um, you know, normal uh, manufacturing or whatever, but they've developed some kind of software processes or IP along the way. 
So I want you, I want, if you're in that space, if you're, if you're listening and, and that's you, I want you to really listen to this because there's a real big difference, Mike, isn't there, between your, uh, how you approach the marketplace with uh, uh, an IP-based or a, a cyber-based company versus just a standard uh, manufacturing or services company. Oh, absolutely. Um, software has is its own beast, so to speak. It's valued and looked at completely different, differently than manufacturing in particular. Um, it, one of the things is it doesn't go on traditional valuation parameters. So many times uh, software companies, they don't care about profitability. In fact, that's kind of almost a liability, frankly. And traditional valuation multiples like EBITDA or revenue don't apply. Many times mm-hmm. it's uh, the companies are acquired just for the technology, and that valuation then is based on market conditions. It's based on filling a gap in the larger acquirer's solution set. It's based on time to market. And it's based on uh, what it would cost the acquire to build it themselves and it's also about keeping that technology out of a competitor's hand so we work with our clients to position them appropriately within the the industry and the sectors that they work in so that they can get the attention that they need um, to distinguish themselves from other smaller companies like themselves and then um, create some sort of bidding environment so that they can be acquired for that premium, which always helps. So I would imagine, and I don't have a lot of experience in the the cyber world uh, or with companies that do that. That's not really been my niche, Mike, but I would imagine that there has sprung up a cadre of of uh, professionals and and financial institutions that understand that better than others when it comes to the valuation, uh, you know, what uh, companies are looking for. I would imagine the private equity group has specialty kind of uh, 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 groups that go after technology. Enlighten us a little bit about some of the challenges that people may face along the way with things like financing and um, you know when they when they say, "Look, my like you said, profitability may be a liability." That's a huge right. statement. <laughs> yeah. So. What uh, what matters most in the software industry is revenue growth, and it, uh, that shows traction. It shows ex- acceptance. It shows vol- validity of the solution. Um, so, what it, and all of my companies, all the software companies, have investors, VCs, and those VCs are looking for a big return on their investment, a 10x return, um, typically. So but the way to do that is you have to grow really fast, and that means you have to have great product market fit. Um, you've got to have brand positioning and marketing messaging all lined up and growing so that the VCs put money into companies so that they can grow as quickly as possible, and they're happy to put more money into you as long as you continue to grow. So profitability isn't the issue. It is all about Revenue growth, getting as big as possible, as quickly as possible, um, so that you can then sell for those huge multiples that we see in the headlines all the time. And there are those a are lot always, of firms yeah, out there always, specializing in <laughs> private equity, investment bankers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, 
um, and the big acquirers in this space, uh, cybersecurity space in particular, is dominated by just a few very large companies. But cybersecurity in general is getting an awful lot of attention. It's a hot market right now because it's in the headlines all the time. And in fact, there, today's headline is about a hack of HBO leaking the Game of, of Thrones script. Um, but in this ever-increasing digital world where Internet of Things is popping up and your cars are getting hacked, security becomes personal, extremely personal. It's not just corporate anymore. Another another example of the human condition creating a whole new market. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, Mike, how, so how does a cybersecurity CEO prepare themselves and their companies for exit? You mentioned a couple of things, but what are some good tips for people that might be listening that are saying, you know, I, I want to I move towards that. What should I be doing in the early stages to, to really prepare myself and my company? Right. So it's not always a build it and they will come scenario. A lot of my clients are great engineers who don't know how to build a company, but they they figure that if they just focus in on building their company, an acquirer is going to come along and they'll they'll buy it. But that isn't really in the the hands of the CEO at the time. They don't have much control over that. They don't know the process and they don't create a bidding environment and it's unlikely that they'll get their magic number if that's the case. So there are things that a company can do to position the company to give them greater exposure. Um, a good way to do that is build relationships with the larger companies in your sector through partnerships. And I recommend that you not go through the corporate development arm. So while they are responsible for M&A and they will be involved at some point, they are not the decision makers. They're more like air traffic controllers. And I had to know because that's what I did. Um, mm-hmm. So I work with my clients to find the decision maker in that industry um, for their technology offering. And we'll work together to create strategic value propositions for each specific partner. And then we'll work to build relationships around that. And with that relationships, uh, we will come to some sort of common understanding of fit with a potential acquirer. So, So somehow my client's product and technology will solve a, some sort of problem that the acquirer has and doesn't want or give them some sort of result that they want and don't have. And ideally, uh, we're going to build relationships for more than one potential acquirer at a time and build trust and so that when the time is right uh, my, and the my client can justify the magic number that they have in mind, we can go to market and create some sort of competitive bidding environment. And then in that way, Mm -hmm. the CEOs can have control over the process. Now, I think a a lot of um, uh, company owners, CEOs might be thinking, you know, I, I wouldn't my investment banker take care of that stuff. So tell us, why should a CEO look to an exit coach for help and not just rely on an advisory board members or an investment banker. Right. So um, with an investment banker, they want to sell as quickly as possible for as much as possible. And many times Mm -hmm. the company isn't in a position to demand the value that the CEO and the board is looking for. So the company's not um, prepared for the process. Um, 
don't really want it. There is a place for investment bankers, and, and many of our clients yeah. go, uh, choose to go with an investment banker, and we can help with that process if necessary. But um, what we do is we prep the company so that they are ready to go to market and it's not a fire sale. It's not uh, wake up one day and, hey, i got to sell the company sort of thing. But um, it, it's one where you prepare in advance so that when you do go to market and you hire an investment banker, it'll, it'll go quickly for a high price. So in, we actually help the investment banker in that sale process. All of our well, – in the software industry, they have, there are lots of VCs, and all of my clients have – outside investors, and many of those investors sit on the board. And while they have a good perspective and a good knowledge, they also sit on five to seven other boards. So they have, getting their attention is always a challenge. Secondly, um, while they're on the board uh, they are and looking for the interest of the company as a result, they also are trying to, to come up with some sort of return for their mm-hmm investors for their own limited partners. So in the M&A process, there, there comes a point where the interest of the CEO may diverge from the interest of the investors. And the board member for the VC has their interest in mind, and, and the CEO, who I work for, not the board per se, has another interest in mind. Um, it comes, mm-hmm. I have an instance once where a, a client got an offer from a uh, an acquirer that he would have accepted in a heartbeat, but the, he was blindsided by his VC who said, "No, no, I want to hold out for something bigger, 10x. I needed to return a 10x to my in, my fund, and you're the horse I'm betting on." So the CEO then had to work longer, harder, take all the risk, and then and then eventually did sell, but then had to stay on three more years. Uh, as part of the deal. So uh, it, he didn't get any more money out of it, actually. Mm. He got the same he would have mm. earlier, but it, uh, a lot more time, a lot more risk. So uh, we work with the CEO so that we can maximize the benefits to them, and we expose some of the issues um, that might crop up in that exit process so that as part of our the exit strategy that we do. That's great. So, so um, in a lot of ways, you're you're making sure the the yellow lights are turned to green before you know before you head down the road of uh, 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 the uh, due diligence and and despair <laughs> when things don't work out. Tell, give us a, a, a brief success story. Tell us a little bit about some of the work that you've done, so we can get a sense for for something that you've done that's uh, turned to gold, if you will. Sure. So right now we have an active client. Um, that we are um, working with in the exit optimization process, where they're international. So this is a global industry. Uh, My clients in Europe, I have clients in Australia and Europe, so it's not just the United States. This is very much a global industry. Um, So we've helped him navigate the decision process. Um, We created an exit strategy. We know what number, magic number he has in mind. we know who the potential acquirers are. We went out and reached out to them to find out who the decision makers are. We've done that. We are now building the, the trust and relationships. And in that process, there were inbound interest. Um, people wanted to buy my client. And 
because we had the strategy in place, we were able to confidently say, no, um, not at that price. Um, we were looking for this number. And they said, well, you can't justify that number. And we went, I know. We know that. Um, we, we are now building the business so that we can justify that number. And so when the timing is right for my client, we will engage with that process and we already know that we will have a competitive bid situation before we even start the process because we've built these relationships and this trust and the, the companies are already familiar with the technology and the solution. And the way we are building the company will actually make it easy for the, my, the technology to fit into their solution set and allow them to scale it massively so that they can then justify the price. So, uh, my client is quite happy right now with the process, and we are well down the road. That's terrific. And so, uh, when when you first talked with your client, what are th- this particular client? What were some of their uh, early concerns, and what were some of the things that they said they wanted to address and, and hire you specifically to address? Um, in particular, they. Um, based in, in Europe, in Germany, and they didn't know the U.S. market so well. They wanted to know, how do we break into the market and get to the right people, to the right decision makers? And that's based on my experience. I kind of know who they are. I understand the technology. I understand the players. And we were able to leverage that, um, and also the messaging. So one of the things that in all the companies I looked at, I've heard about positioning and how you talk about the solution and how you can dis- distinguish that from somebody else's show how disruptive it is. And I worked with them on positioning that message with each of those particular companies we were talking to so to get them to understand the value of the solution set and what it would mean to them and how it either increases their revenue or decreases their cost um, and makes it more efficient. And so we've been able to do that, and they weren't able – to do that on their own because um, he's a great and a brilliant engineer. Like all of my client CEOs are mm-hmm. brilliant. They're not necessarily experienced in building a company, and so I help them do that and help them position themselves with the potential acquirers. In that, and it's, it helps to have market knowledge and know who the players are. You know, I've heard it, been, it said many times that there are really, when it comes down to it, only two ways to sell your business. One from a position of strength and two from a position of weakness. And so you build in that position of strength quite nicely, it sounds like, with your clients, especially those who don't understand the marketplace that they want to market to if it happens to be in the U.S., and that's terrific. Um, uh, tell, would you share with us uh, a couple brief tips, ideas, or precautions for our listeners who might be thinking, you know, I, I, uh, I resemble these remarks, and I, I would like to take advantage of these things. What do I need to do? What are some some low hanging fruit tips, ideas, or precautions for our listeners? Yeah, the first is uh, create an exit strategy. Right? Don't wake up one day and say, "I got to sell the company," because uh, you're not ready when when that happens. So, um, create a plan and an approach uh, for for your exit. So. The exit optimization process helps clarify your exit goals and links them to transaction reality. So the exit strategy here creates alignment among your key stakeholders so there's no blindsiding. And in this way, you reduce the risk and any fear of the unknown. Second, um, you 
can you take control of the process. To succeed in any business process, you have to start at the end, right? So you clearly articulate the desired outcome and then plan the intermediate steps to achieve the goal. So part of the one is the exit strategy is like, okay, here's my magic number, what I want to do with it. And then there's a plan uh, to steps needed to achieve that goal in order to uh, get that magic number. And because the best deals come when there are more than one bidder, and you need to create an environment where you can do that to take the risk out of it and the fear of the unknown. So those are my two tips. Those are great. Those are, um, you know, things that we talk about with business owners all the time. And obviously uh, there are many situations, if you're listening and you're in the advisory role out there, uh, do not try to approach uh, – a technology company or a company that's out of your 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 niche without a specialist, uh, and uh, again, Mike Rogers is a specialist at the Revenue Group. Mike, you have a you're offering uh, listeners a, a free consultation that they can sign up through the, your website and a white paper on five steps to quickly increase your valuation. Can you tell us what tease us a little bit? Tell us what the first step <laughs> is to quickly increase your valuation. Well, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do in my in the offer. I'm not going to tell you to hire 10 more salespeople, do more marketing, do more Twitter, don't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, I'm not going to do that. Uh, You know what's not enough. Uh, You know you need to do something different if you're trying to increase your valuation and you're not happy with it. Um, But you're probably not clear what will move the needle to really increase your value. So I'm not going to recommend those common things. Uh, In the paper, in the white paper, you'll find out that there are opportunities to increase your company's valuation hiding right in front of you, but they're not the ones you've been looking at. I guarantee it. Second, learn what to look for to increase your company's valuation with as little investment as possible in as short a time period as possible. And third, in the white paper, you're going to identify two or three hidden strengths that can be dusted, polished, and turned into glaring valuation amplifiers. And the basis of the recommendations is my experience in looking at hundreds of companies and buying 10, investing in three, and and being part of the sale of four. I know what to look for, what dials you turn in order to make some quick modifications because the goal is uh, any any investor or an inquirer is to take that make some changes, and then sell again for a premium. So each buyer or investor is going to do something a little bit different based on what you already have, and you don't need somebody else to do that if you can do it yourself. So, now, that, so I recommend it sounds they like, go to the... Uh, you know, the go ahead. Go ahead, Bill. Sorry. Oh, no. It sounds like the, you know, the, those... Those tips are, are relevant for any business out there, not just if you're in technology space. So why not uh, go uh, learn more about what the Revenue Group does? Uh, the website is www.therevenuegroup.net. So therevenuegroup.net. Find out more about Mike Rogers. Mike, uh, what's the best number if people wanted to give you a call and talk to you? Uh, the best number is 925 925- Nine one four seven zero three three. Well, this was this has been very enlightening and and tremendous information. Not you know again, a lot of company uh, coaching and exit planning information is relevant 
for all types of companies. But I think we've learned some very special things here about the technology sector especially. And for that, Mike, I really appreciate you coming on the show and enlightening us. And uh, I hope we get a chance to talk again soon uh, in maybe more in-depth in uh, things for cyber-based companies. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Bill, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this. So please stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. One of the questions I get asked the most is, how do I grow the value of my business? I'm so busy working in it, I need to work on it. So we've created a special report for you on 10 tips to grow the value of your business. Just text the word DRIVERS to 44222 to get a special free report right to your inbox. That's DRIVERS to 44222. Text DRIVERS to 44222. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio.